Well, hey, Genesis 2, if you've got a Bible with you today, get it out, turn it on and go to Genesis chapter 2. We have gone back to the beginning. We're back in the creation story. And what I'm learning is that sometimes when you read the Bible, you have to be okay that it presents more questions than it answers. Like right in the first pages of Scripture, it'll make your head spin. There's so many questions because you read it and you go, okay, God made all of this. Like God made all of this. And what do you want to know? You want to know how did he do it, right? Did he do it in seven days or was it over a period of time? What happened to the dinosaurs? When were angels made? What's up with all those caveman fossils with the funny looking heads that we find? Like all the questions that we have, right? And so I imagine Moses sitting down to write the book of Genesis. And I don't know how he got all the information. I don't know if it was passed down through history to him. I don't know if God spoke directly to him. I don't know if it was just the spirit of God leading him, but I imagine him writing and thinking to himself, really, God? You, you want me to write that? Like, I got this. I can come up with something better. At least let me fill in some of the details because, God, they're going to have all kinds of questions. Like, you, you want me to actually write that? I think what's so cool is that if you think about it, the mystery of God, the unknown, the depths of God is what makes him such a big God. If we could understand everything that there is to know about God, he wouldn't be that big. If we could, by the ink on a page, gather all the mysteries and all the depths and all the riches of God, honestly, you can keep that God because he's not a very big God. I love that God is so big that even my wildest imagination, I cannot fathom everything about him, that there is mystery and there is unknown. And as we're going through this series, I am being reminded and I am learning that it's okay for there to be mystery. It's okay that as we read the creation story and you want answers and I want answers, that some of you think the world is 10,000 years old. It's okay that some of you think the world is 10 billion years old and everything in between and there's room for all of that. I love the mystery. But I also love that when Moses wrote this story, when he sat down to write, he was not writing us a story about how or when the world was made, but he was telling us a story about who made the world and why this world was made. So today as we continue, we're going to look at this pivotal moment in the creation story. It's the point where God makes us. This is the beginning of our story. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at it in detail. And here's the deal. It presents a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions when I read this story. But at the same time, for just a moment, in this story, God reveals some of the mystery. There is a moment where God and man are face to face. And it's in this moment that God is going to show us very clearly that from the beginning, the God of the universe, the God of creation, more than anything, wanted a personal face-to-face -face relationship with you and with me. So let's get into it. The story, the beginning of the story of mankind, it's found right here in Genesis 2, and it starts in verse 4, and here's what it says. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And Moses uses this really familiar phrase, the heavens and the earth. And what he's doing is he's connecting back to, he's connecting this story back to the previous story, back to the beginning of the Bible. Because remember the opening words of the Bible, chapter one says, in the beginning, God created what? He created the heavens and the earth. 
And so he uses this phrase again. It's a familiar phrase. He's trying to get our attention and he's saying, listen, that story, I'm about to tell you that story again. Same story, but I'm going to come at it from a little bit of different angle. So he says in verse 5, he writes, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But the streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Now listen, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Okay, what's going on here in Genesis 2? What's happening is we're getting a zoom in on the final day of creation. Remember what's happened so far. Day one, God created light. Day two, God created the waters. Day three, God creates land. And then he starts to fill the things that he's created. So day four, he puts stars in the sky. Day five, he looks at the water and he fills it with fish. And in the sky, he puts birds flying around. And then on day six, he, he starts and he makes animals. And, and, and this story in chapter two is the same story we heard in chapter one. And though the order is a little bit different, it's not a contradiction. It's a zoom in on what's going on. God is going to zoom in in chapter two on the place that this is happening, the Garden of Eden. He's going to zoom in on the point of this story, which is the creation of man. And so he picks up chapter two where he left off chapter one. Remember what it said? God said, now let us make mankind in our own image. And so that's what he's doing. And so most scholars believe that, that Genesis 2 is some sort of microscopic view. It's some sort of zoom-in view of day six, when God makes human beings. Now here's what's unique. We get a whole chapter describing God making human beings. There's nothing else in creation that gets a whole chapter. We don't get a whole chapter on dogs and why God made dogs, okay? We don't get a whole chapter on cats because no one cares about cats, but that's a different story. We don't get a whole chapter on palm trees and, and why we have those, right? But we get a whole chapter. We get this entire breakdown of God creating human beings. And for the next few verses, for just a moment, God reveals some of the mystery. God is going to show us his heart and what's behind creating us. And it starts right here. It starts with the name of God. And we've talked about the name of God before. God has a number of different names in Hebrew. And the name that is being used up until this point, the name that is being used by Moses in chapter 1 is the Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew name Elohim. That is one name for God, the name Elohim. And Elohim means creator. It means all-powerful, really big God. Elohim is the one who spoke and the world came into existence. God, Elohim spoke and the lights turned on. Elohim spoke and the waves and the ocean started rolling in. He is big God, creator God, all-powerful God. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, Moses does something different. He introduces us, he gives us a different name for God. It's one of God's names. It's the name Yahweh. And Yahweh, circle in your Bible where it says Lord God, he is the Lord. Yahweh is personal God, is always present God. Yahweh is the name of God. If you know God, that's what you call him. He says, if you know me, this is what you call me. Personal God, relational God. Why the switch? You'd miss it if you, if you didn't slow down. You could easily miss it. Why the switch? See, I think what Moses is telling us is that it's about to get personal. 
Chapter one, God was Elohim, big God, creator God. It's written to all of us sort of collectively. But now chapter two, day six, he drills down. And this is gonna get personal. This is Yahweh, the personal God, the ever-present God. This story is written to you and to me. It's directed right at us, this relational, one-on-one God. And you know what I think is so unique about this is, you know, we talk in terms of our religion a lot, right? I'm a Christian. I'm a Muslim. I'm an atheist. I grew up in a Catholic home, whatever. We say it like it's part of our identity, like we're filling out like a form. Well, male or female, okay, check the box, okay. Caucasian or Hispanic or Asian or African-American, check the box, okay. Now religion, uh, well, I grew up in a Christian home, so I'm, I'm a Christian. And I think what's going on here is God is basically saying, look, here's the deal. I don't want your religion. It's far more personal than that. This is about a relationship. I, I don't want your religion. I want one-on-one, face-to-face, personal relationship. Yes, Elohim, big God, created the world. But now it's personal. Yahweh wants to have a relationship with you. And then just a a tweak on this, just sort of a side note. If we kept going into chapter 3, Moses goes back to the name Elohim. Why? Because sin and temptation in chapter 3, sin and temptation enter the world. And sin sort of removes the personal part, this personal relationship that we have with God. It creates this barrier between us and God. And so he goes back to the name Elohim. Thank God he sent Jesus And Jesus walks into that and bridges that gap. But this whole thing is about having a one-on-one. It's God saying, I want to have a one-on-one personal relationship with each one of us. And I feel like there's something in there that just for a moment, it's just like this this little heart check. Because you go, yeah, I go, you know, I go to church and take the kids to youth group and you know, we drop some some bucks in the offering plate. It's like, yeah, okay, but that can all be religion. How's how's your relationship with God? How's your one-on-one with God? Just this this sort of personal heart check that slows us down this morning. We're going to walk into this, but it slows us down and just kind of go, man, how's my relationship with God right now? Let's get into it. Let's see how God made us, and that's going to speak to the relationship that God wants to have with us. We're going to unpack verse 7. Let me read it for you again. Here's what it says. It says, Then the Lord God, then Yahweh, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. Circle the word there. Circle the word formed. We're just going to start there. The language here is the language of a potter and clay. That God is a potter and we are clay. What do you know about a potter, they take a hunk of like dry dirt, right? And, and they begin to sort of work it and mold it into something. They're, they're an artist and they, they make something. When my kids were little, we did a lot of Play-Doh. We'd sit around the, the table and do a lot of Play-Doh. Have you done Play-Doh before? It's fun, right? You can make all kinds of things with Play-Doh. And you can kind of even, when you're grown up, you can be a little kid and play with Play-Doh. And I actually got pretty good we played so much, I actually got pretty, pretty good at Play-Doh. I could make a lot of things. My kids were pretty impressed. I, I like to make animals, so I would show them, like, hey, kids, look, I can make a snake. And they were pretty impressed by that. But, you know, lest you think I'm just sort of a one-trick one pony here, I would, I would impress them more because I would keep going, okay, the snake's not that big of a deal. I can also make a worm. Look at that, kids. And they'd be really impressed. You can impress little kids pretty easily. They had all these contraptions for 
their Play-Doh that you could make all kinds of things. You could make like hair for people and you, like, you could make like food. They go, here's a, you know, here's a, a, a Play-Doh cheeseburger. And you're like, thank you. They can make animals, buildings. They have different colors, all kinds of different stuff, like little cutters, you know, like little cookie cutters they would use. And it's fun to play with Play-Doh. Makes your hands smell funny, but it's fun to play with Play-Doh. And in the right hands, you could take Play-Doh. You can take a lump of clay and in the right hands, an artist, a sculptor, a potter can make something very beautiful and also incredibly useful. What God is saying is that he is like a potter. He is like a sculptor and he takes dirt. He takes, in the Middle East, it's clay. They have it. He takes this clay and he mixes it up and he's going to mold something and he's going to work it with his hands. Right? And in the right hands, in God's hands, he can make something incredible. And he is saying that he is like a potter. He is like a sculptor. And we are like clay. You ever seen a sculptor's hands? You ever seen an artist's hands when they're working? They're filthy. They get dirty. They, they got to get into the material. And they work it. They're making a mess. They're dropping stuff. It's like when you're playing Play-Doh and there's like, Pieces of Play-Doh over the table. It's dropping on the floor. The dog's trying to eat. You're chasing the dog off. It's like everywhere, right? That's, that's sort of the picture that we have here of God. And you think about a sculptor. What, what does a sculptor really do? She, she molds, right? She molds something into what? What she wants it to be. She gets a piece of clay. She puts it on the, the potter's wheel. Just keeps working it, right? And she works it and she squishes it and she shapes it. Then she steps back and looks at it and she in there again and works it a little bit more, steps back and goes, no, that edge isn't right and keeps going, adds some color to it maybe, adds some designs to it and continues to just sort of shape and mold it. I love this imagery. This is the imagery God is giving for how he made us. See, God could have just spoken us into existence. He could have just said, yep, now there's people. Go, be people, do your human thing. But he doesn't. He reaches down and he scoops up some dirt and he says, I'm gonna make you. I'm going to mold you. I'm going to shape you. I love the imagery of this. It's dirty and it's messy. But what comes out is, if it's an artist, if it's a skilled person, what comes out is precisely what that person wants. God is showing us that he uses all of his energy, all of his focus to mold us, to make us. Listen to this, like a sculptor with clay. Listen to Psalm 139. It says that, God, you, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Listen to this. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God fearfully made you. That doesn't mean that God is scared. That means that God concerned himself with every detail. He wants to get every detail right. And so he, he works it and molds it until it's, it's just right. In Job, Job says, God, you, you fashioned me. You made me with your own hands. I mean, think about that. Is there at least, I don't know, some level of, some level of comfort in that? To think, man, God made me exactly the way he wants me to be. And, and I think there's even some mystery in that, right? Because some of us, we look in the mirror and go, why? Uh, that's weird. That's not how I would have drawn it up. That's not what I would have chosen. And yet God does exactly what, what God wants to do. And there's this, this analogy throughout the Bible that says, you know, the clay doesn't get to talk back to the potter, right? The clay doesn't get to say to the potter, no, I don't, I don't want to be whatever you made, right? Like the, the, the Plato doesn't get to go, I don't want to be a snake. 
Like, fine, you can be a worm, okay? But it's like, it doesn't get to, we don't get to talk back to our, our maker. That God, instead, God shaped us, molded us the way that he wanted us. I just, I have this picture in my head of God sitting at a potter's wheel and he plops down a lump of clay and he starts to mold it. And each person has a custom job. There's no assembly line. And he goes, ah, you, okay, you're gonna have dark hair and I want you to have sort of olive skin and I want you to have green eyes. I want you to have dark eyebrows. I want you to be tall. I want you to be somebody who's, you know, funny. I want you to be a, a mathematician, a scientist. I want you to be an artist. And he, and he continues to, to make it until it's just the way he wants us. And he keeps working the clay and he keeps working the clay. And it's exactly to God's design. He's a sculptor who makes us. And I think what's so incredible, and you'll miss this if we don't stop on it for a second. I think what's so cre- incredible to think about is if we can bring this story forward into here and now. God doesn't stop molding. This story of shaping and sculpting doesn't stop in Genesis 2. This story doesn't stop on day 6. He continues to mold and shape. He continues to form you the way he wants you. The question for you, what this story just screams out to me, the question for you and for me is, do we let him? Do you allow God to shape your life? Do you allow God to continue to mold you? The cool thing about Plato is you can take it back out and you can continue to shape it. You can actually make something totally new. You can refine it. The only way that Plato stops being moldable or clay stops being formable is what? If it gets hard, right? One of your kids leaves the, the lid off the Play-Doh. It's like a party foul if you have little kids when you leave the lid off the Play-Doh. And it dries out. And you go to play with it again. And guess what? You can't mold it. It's hard. Guess what happens? It breaks. It crumbles up into these little pieces and it just falls everywhere and it makes a mess. God wants to continue to mold and shape you. He wants to continue to form you. But you know when he can't do it? When your heart is hard. When you're hardened and you say, no, God, I'm good. When you refuse to put your life into God's hands and trust him and put your heart in his hands and say, God, I want you to change me. I want you to shape me. I want you to mold me into the person you want me to be. But instead, some of us go, no, I'm, I'm good. And the only way God can't continue to form you and to mold you is if you harden your heart because then you would just break. And God doesn't want to break anyone, so he'll stop. But he wants to keep going. Do you let him? Listen to this. He wants to get his life in your hands, in your heart, and mold you and shape you. Listen to Isaiah 64. It says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We're the clay. You're the potter. You're the one who works. We are the work of your hand. I just wonder, are you soft enough? Is your heart soft enough that God could change you, that God could actually work in your life? Or have you become so hard? Are you so arrogant that he can't, he can't, mold you. He can't shape you. Maybe you go, well, what does that look like? How, how can I be shaped by God? There's, there's lots of ways that God continues to work in us and shape us and mold us, right? It starts in his word by reading the, our Bibles. And maybe you're a person who you go, you know, I've tried to read my Bible, but I don't get that much out of it. Here's the thing. If you keep reading, 
You won't even realize it, but you're getting something. God is molding you and shaping you because the Bible says that his word is alive and it's active and it is working in your heart. How does God mold you? Through the life of Christ, when you look at Jesus and you see the way Jesus lived and you see the way Jesus loved and you try and be like him, you try and emulate the way he lived, God changes you. He shapes you to be more like Jesus. God shapes us when we listen to the Holy Spirit. We're guided by the Holy Spirit. But but if you won't listen, he can't shape you. He's not going to yell. God molds us and shapes us by having people around us, godly people. Maybe it's godly parents or friends or coworkers. It's people in your small group who can speak into your life and speak truth and speak love. But if you're so hard, you think you've already figured everything out and you don't need to be shaped, you don't need to be molded, then it can't happen. Then when God tries to shape you and form you, it will break you. And God doesn't want to leave you crumbled in little pieces. Is your heart soft enough that God can still refine you? God loves you just the way you are, just as the person you are, and he wants to transform you more into the image of Christ. Will you let him? Or have you gotten too hard? Go back to the passage. Go back to the passage with me because this is what it tells us, that if God, God wants to shape us and mold us, but if God is going to do that, He's not going to do it from afar. God's going to be close. He wants to be close to us. Listen to how close he wants us to be. Back in verse 7, it says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Into the, the man's nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So the picture that I imagine, what I have in my head, is someone getting CPR. Have you ever... I had to take a CPR class. It's kind of it's kind of weird, right? I don't do we still do CPR in COVID world? I don't know. Do you just I can't take my mask off for that. Sorry, you're in trouble. I can't take my mask off. I don't know. Think about CPR. How close you have to be to somebody to give them CPR. So to show you, I'm going to have my wife come up here for just a second. And I want to talk about how close you would have to be to somebody. I'm not going to give her CPR, you perverts. That would be weird. I want to talk about how close you would have to be to give someone CPR. Imagine the space. Imagine the closeness. Hang on just just one second here. Imagine the closeness (laughs) that you would have to have to someone to give them CPR. Like this, this space, you don't let strangers in this space, right? Like I hope not. This space is reserved for people closest to you, for people you love. And imagine, imagine what can happen in this space. Imagine that you can look someone in the eye. Imagine that you can have a conversation and we can just whisper and no one else can hear. But here's the deal. In this closeness, we can have a conversation that's not for you. So we don't have to worry about you and whether you can hear. We're just talking to each other. Imagine in this space what can't happen. Nothing can distract. Nothing can get in between us. Imagine being so close to God that nothing could get in between you. Nothing could distract you. But you have this closeness eye to eye, face to face. And yeah, it's awkward for you. It's, guess what? We like to be closer than this. This space, though, this space is for us. It's not for you. This is the closeness. This is the kind of space that that God is describing that he wants to have with you, that God could see you face to face, 
that you could look into each other's eyes, that when he breathes, you could feel it on your skin, that God could just whisper and you would hear him. God doesn't want to have to yell. He wants to be able to whisper and you would just hear him. He doesn't want to compete with other things for closeness. God doesn't want to have to elbow his way into your life. He wants you to give him that space. And here's the thing about that space. It's just for God. It's not for anyone else. God wants to have a relationship, a space, a closeness that is not for you and anyone else. It's just for you and him. Get this, please. It's not that space that you have with God. This is your faith, your journey. That's not a space that has anything to do with your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your parents or your kids or your friends. God wants to have a space that is just for you and for him, a space that is eye to eye and face to face. And in that space, what does it say happens? It says that God, God gives life. In that space is where God restores joy and peace, where he gives us his joy. So Moses is sitting down to to write the book of Genesis and God goes, tell them, please tell them how close I want to be to them. Tell them I want to be able to look them in the eye. Tell them I want to see them face to face. Tell them I want to, when I breathe, they, they, they feel it and they experience life. Tell them how much I want to be with them. Tell them I don't want to have to yell. I just want to be able to whisper and I'm so close they'll hear me. What's so sad to me is that I think many of us rarely, if ever, experience that kind of closeness with God. You go, yep, I'm a Christian, cool, love God, and that's really the end of the story. But imagine this. Imagine if you got married and you had a big wedding. It was beautiful. Everybody was there. Lots of flowers. It was awesome. Even got some great gifts. Went on a honeymoon. And then you came home, and I don't know, maybe a week later, you went, you know, I'm going to go back to my old apartment now. I'm going to go back to my old friends, and I'll tell you what, if you need something, give me a call. And if I, you know, if I get desperate, I'll, I'll give you a call, and, and, and we'll talk. And then about a month goes by, and you go, you know, this marriage thing ain't all it's cracked up to be. It's kind of lonely. And you know what? In fact, it's kind of boring. We would say, you're not, you're not experiencing marriage. Yes, you got married, but that is not marriage. And I think for so many of us, that's our relationship with Jesus. It's like you went to Six Flags, and you went inside. And instead of going on rides, and instead of getting you one of the big old elephant ears, you know, so good, instead of talking to some of the characters and seeing everything, you just sat down on a park bench inside the gates. And then at the end of the day, you go, man, Six Flags is kind of boring. I don't know what you guys are talking about. It's not that much fun. We go, you didn't do Six Flags. You just sat on a bench. Yes, technically you were in Six Flags. You paid your, you know, $129 to come in the gates. Congratulations. But you didn't experience Six Flags the way that it was meant to be. I think so many of us are living like my relationship with Jesus as following Jesus thing is just like, hey God, can you punch my ticket to get into heaven so that someday I can go there? It's like, that's not what it is to follow Jesus. It's life. It's a full life. It's goodness and joy. It's not just going through the gates. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. Following Jesus starts there. But then it goes on every day, day after day after day is what it is to follow Jesus. It keeps going every day from Genesis 2 when we were made day, day, day until today and tomorrow that God wants to shape you and God wants to be close to you and walk with you. Not just that we check a box on a form, 
but that we would experience life with him. Here's, here's what I want to challenge you with today. And it's really simple. Probably many, many of you, there's a chance many of us are, are feeling like, you know, we're not real close to God right now. And it could be lots of reasons. There could be lots of reasons why that's the case. It could just be that you're tired. It could be that you're frustrated. It could be that you're disappointed. It could be that you're feeling lonely. It could be something happened. It could be that you lost your job. It could be, parents, I see you trying to get through COVID homeschooling, whatever we're calling this thing. I see you. You're exhausted. And you feel far from God. It could just be that your relationship with God over time has faded a little bit. It could be that you got a scary health diagnosis and you're just overwhelmed by it and you step back and you don't know what to do. It could just be that you've gotten lax and God's not a priority. Here's my invitation and my challenge to you. And it comes right out of Scripture. James, who is the little brother of Jesus, He says this in James chapter four. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. God hasn't gone anywhere. God hasn't moved away. You have. So come back. He says, I still want to mold you and shape you. I still want to walk hand in hand with you. I still want to be close. I want to be face to face with you. But more than anything, God says, I just want you. So come back. Pray with me. God, you are, on the one hand, you are so big and so powerful and so majestic, all-knowing, almighty, creator God who speaks and the world is formed, who speaks and the oceans roar. And you are also personal and you are also always with us. You are present and you look us in the eye and come face to face. And you want to be so close to us. What are we that you would want to be close to us, God? But you want to be so close to us that when you breathe, we can feel it on our skin. And when you whisper, we we, we will hear it like booming thunder. Who are we that you would want to be so close to us? Thank you, God. For some of us, Lord, we, we want to be molded. We want to be shaped. The truth is, God, for for some of us that our hearts, though, are too hard, we have gotten arrogant. We've gotten sinful and prideful. We've refused to let people who love us speak into our lives. We've refused to let your word change our behaviors and our heart. God, we've refused to follow the leading of your spirit. God, we confess that to you today. We want you to perfect us, to mold us, to make us into the person you at our core designed us to be. Help us to be humble. Soften our hearts. Replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh, your spirit and your joy and your goodness. God, There are people here today that feel so far from you that look back and maybe think at at one point I, I, I thought God was close, but not anymore. God, would you just shine your face on them?
right now by the power of your spirit? Would they know that you have not gone anywhere and it's as simple as turning and running to you and you're there with open arms wanting to be close to us, wanting to be face-to-face, wanting to breathe new life into us. God, I thank you that we can worship you. I thank you that while sin and temptation created a barrier, your son, Jesus Christ, walked into this world and bridged the gap, gave his life so that we could be restored to you, so that we could come back to you. I thank you for the joy and the peace that we have in knowing this this Jesus. And for anyone today who doesn't know Jesus, God, would you reveal your heart, your goodness, your mercy, and your love in their life? God, we pray all these things through your son's name. Amen.